Might not be over yet. Five seconds to oh, he's out of bounds. 13! 13! Can you believe it? He's kicked 13! Welcome back to the 29th episode of the Boy Oh Boy Wowie podcast. Today we have a huge guest who played 250 AFL games for West Coast, played in two AFL grand finals, winning one and winning a Norm Smith medal in 2006. It was selected with pick 57 in the 1998 AFL draft and is one of the biggest deals in AFL history. Please welcome Andrew Embley. Thanks, Ed, for coming on today, mate. Thanks, Bailey. Thanks for having me. And um, nice little intro there. Sometimes I um, forget... Uh, about exactly what I did. So thanks for reminding me, mate. <laughs> How did you first get involved in footy? I, um, as a kid, mum and dad used to always say that I was just obsessed with playing sports. So whether it was cricket in summer or football in winter or athletics, I just always wanted to be in the backyard just playing sports. And football was a, a game that I probably loved more than, than the other sports, but I was just really active. Um, in our um, time growing up, we didn't have access to iPads or technology that the kids have these days. So I spent most of my childhood just in the backyard with my brothers and sisters, with mum and dad, just trying to kick a footy and uh, and play cricket and basketball and, and as many sports as I could possibly play. Yeah, when did you sort of start to take your footy really seriously? I was... Um, I was selected in the state schoolboys when I was 15 years of age. So that was probably the first time when I realised, because I always knew that I was okay footballer. Um, one of the, wasn't the best player in the team, but was one of the, um, the better players. And it wasn't until I went over to Darwin, we played um, the state schoolboys championships representing WA against all the yep. other states. And I had a, a really good carnival. And I walked away from that carnival thinking to myself, well, I can certainly compete against some of the best 15-year-olds in the country. So that was probably when I first realised that the dream that I had of playing AFL football potentially could be a reality if I continue to work at it. Yeah, what was it like to represent your state at such a young age? Yeah, really exciting. I mean, yeah, I love football and um, and you want to, be the best player that you can you know, be and you get opportunities along the way to play in development squads and then from that, if you're good enough, obviously you get selected in a state squad and so, yeah, you're really nervous because you're not sure if you're going to make the cut but I, um, yeah, I was fortunate to represent the state um, in the state schoolboys carnival and then in the under-18s championship the following year. So I, um, I spent two years representing WA before I was drafted to the West Coast Eagles and it was great to obviously be a part of those WA state teams because, as you know, we don't have state of origin in the AFL anymore. So it was, um, yeah, really great. And then also to eventually get drafted. But then other players that you've played with and against, for that matter, get drafted as well. So you get to, to follow their careers also. Was there a point in when you were playing in the under-18s where you thought you were going to get drafted? 
Um, oh, not really. I had a pretty poor under-18s carnival, actually. I, I didn't really play too well and I didn't really sort of think that I was certainly to get drafted the following year. So I, um, I was a bit touch and go. There was a rule, actually, back in 1998, the year that I got drafted, where clubs could take one 17-year-old. So I was a 17-year-old um, in that particular draft, and I knew that Brisbane were going to take a guy called Des Headland at pick one, and Fremantle were going to take Justin Longmuir at pick two. Both these guys were 17-year-olds. So I knew, okay, well, I'm wanting 14th chance of getting drafted now. So I ended up getting picked um, up a little bit later on in the draft. West Coast took me as their 17-year-old. But actually a funny story, Bailey, not too many people have heard this, but apparently it's, um, I only found this out a little bit later, but it was out of myself and Paul Hazelby, right? And for West Coast 17-year-old pick. And half the recruiters wanted Andrew Embley and the other half wanted Paul Hazelby. And Mick Moldhouse, who was my first coach, he walked into the, um, the room and he said he believed that midfielders were becoming taller and, and pushing forward to sort of become, you know, goal kickers as well. So on the back of that, Mick Moldhouse made the final decision and went with Andrew Embley. Now, 12 months later, uh, Mick Moldhouse had, been, um, had gone to Collingwood Paul Hazelby ended up getting drafted by Fremantle the following year, became the best first year player in the competition. And here I am languishing in the waffle. And I reckon the recruiters are thinking to themselves, gee, we bloody stuffed this one up. And uh, Mick Moldhouse, as you said, he's gone to Collingwood. And he was the guy that got Imbley to the West Coast Eagles. So, um, yeah, I um, hopefully I returned the favour a few years down the track, though. Yeah, what was your lead-up to the draft like? Um. A little bit nervous, I um because I wasn't guaranteed to get drafted. So, and as I said, like because I was a seventeen-year-old, I knew I was only one in you know sixteen um, players as a seventeen-year-old in the country to get drafted. So my chances were quite small, and certainly the chances of staying in WA were really small. And as I said to you before, I knew that I wasn't going to Fremantle because Justin Longmuir was always going to go to Fremantle with their second pick if um if Brisbane hadn't taken Des Headland. So we knew that I wasn't going to, to be here in Perth. All the chances of staying in Perth were quite slim. Um, so you're obviously uh, a little bit nervous. And I'd, um, I just finished my year 12 year at Trinity College, a school here in, uh, in Western Australia. And, yeah, I was hoping that I was going to get drafted, but then I was sort of also preparing for what it would look like if I didn't get drafted and in regards to study and, and playing in the waffle, et cetera. So there was a little bit unknown, but unfortunately I was um, always taken by West Coast as, the, as their 17-year-old. Yeah, what was your feeling when you were selected by the Eagles? Oh, just so wrapped. Like, it was just a dream come true, really. I, I grew up barracking for West Coast, so I'm one of the few players that play... Um, in the AFL and actually get to play for the club that they barracked for as a kid. So it was um, it was quite surreal, really, to be able to finally meet all these guys that were my idols growing up. And suddenly I'm in the change room sitting next to guys like Glenn Jakovich and Peter Matera and Guy McKenna and Chris Mainwaring and all these players that I admired so much. And suddenly they were my teammates and um, it was, yeah, it was so fun, so cool. 
yeah, what was it like being picked late in the draft and did that change your mindset going into the first preseason that you were in? Um, no, I was just really happy to get picked up and regardless of what number I went, it didn't really sort of matter too much. But I, um, I got down to training and I trained really hard. I had a really good preseason. I wanted to sort of um, prove to the West Coast Eagles that I'd, um, you know, I was worthy of, um, of being on the list and I really wanted to put my best foot forward. So there was another four or five guys that were drafted, I think, before me in that particular draft. Um, but I didn't look at those guys because the fact that they had been drafted higher, I didn't think that they were you know, necessarily any better than me. And, and I guess in a way it probably challenged me to, to make sure that I trained the hardest and, and see if I can actually be in a position to get a, a debut game before all the other guys that have been drafted um, in front of me. Yeah, was there anyone who acted as like a mentor to you in your early days at the Eagles? Um, probably not a mentor as such, but um, the late Chris Mainwaring was someone that I always had a lot of respect for. And I remember um, he came up to me just on the eve of uh, round one and he said, you know, a young fellow, just um, how impressed that he had been of the way that I applied myself through the preseason and my training. He said, listen, I'm not Mick Moldhouse, but if I was a coach, I would select you in my round one team. I reckon you've done everything right. And so to be able to get that um, that um, confidence from someone that I'd have an enormous amount of respect for really did sort of hold me in good stead. So I was, um, I was fortunate enough on the back of uh, a really good preseason to actually make my debut in, uh, in round one of the 1999 season, which was pretty cool. Yeah, during that preseason, was there a point of time where you thought you were going to debut in round one? Um, then we had a couple of scratch matches and I did reasonably um, okay in those scratch matches and, and then got a couple of preseason games and... I um I played a, a preseason game and you probably won't remember a guy called Fraser Brown. It might have been a bit um old for you to remember, but he was a Carlton champion and I um I got to tag him one game in a in a preseason game and we got in a few you know a few push ups and punch ups and um, <laughs> all legal sort of stuff. But I think Mick Moldhouse was really sort of um, proud of the way that I went about it and the role that he asked me to play and I um I didn't sort of take a backward step or anything like that. So he, um, he gave me some great praise on the back of that performance. And so I was, I was hopeful that I would be in the conversation, but um, yeah, I certainly wasn't confident. Um, when did you find out that you were going to debut? Mick Mulhouse brought me to his office um, two days before the game and asked me if I was ready to play AFL footy. So that uh, was as simple as that. And I said, oh, absolutely, I'm ready. He goes, well, you're in, young fella. So I, um, I was pumped. I, he said, you can call your mum and dad, let them know, but try to keep it a bit of a secret because we, um, we're not announcing the teams for another sort of day or two. So I, um, I let mum and dad know and that was just so chuffed for me. And, yeah, it was a, it was a dream come true. You, you grow up playing footy not thinking that you'll ever play AFL, you dream about it. Um, so for it to actually become a reality was something that I, um, yeah, not just myself, but the whole family were very proud of. Yeah. What was it like for your debut to be a Western Derby? 
Yeah, awesome, cool. So derbies over here are just um, they're just great games to be a part of. Great atmosphere, big crowds, a lot of talk and build up during the week. So as a kid, you all you want to do is just play one game. So to be able to do that in uh, the first game of the 1999 season against the Fremantle Dockers was was really cool. So I must admit that the game back then was a lot different to the game now. Um, as you've seen with the rotation so much in today's game, you might start on the bench, but you're on in the first two or three minutes. But back then, if you started on the bench, there was every chance that you'd be on the bench for most of the day. So I, um, I sat on the bench, I think, until about halftime. Might have come on just before halftime. Uh Probably got about 15 minutes in the second half, so didn't spend a, a great deal of time on the ground, but got a full match payment, which was pretty cool. So <laughs> I, um, I had a, it was a great experience, and we had a, a really good win too, not by much, but we did win my first game, so that was, um, that was fun to be a part of. Yeah, what's it like after your debut, and what's the feelings then? Um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's great. You start to get a little bit of attention, so. Um, you know, football clubs and media and supporters are always looking for that that next um, the next big thing. And so, you know, if you make your debut as a 17 year old in round one, suddenly there's a bit more pressure and expectation on you. So, I um, I was probably in my first year. There's no real pressure on you whatsoever. You just want to be out there playing. And if you're not playing, then you're playing in the waffle. And because you know I was so young, I hadn't experienced any really any waffle football either. So. I um I had a, a, a great first year where I uh, my body was good and I think I played nine games from memory at West Coast and the rest were in the waffle so it was a you know, overall a, uh, a a good a good first year coming out of school footy. Yeah, what was it like to be vice captain from two thousand four to two thousand six for the Eagles? Um, yeah, that was that was a really great um, honour. So I um. You know, I feel uh, we had some you know, great leaders at the football club and to be part of the leadership program um, for probably, um, geez, half of my, my playing career was uh, was great. And obviously being vice captain through um, through those times was 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 really cool. So, yeah, as a as a leader, you know, you, you need to sort of lead by example, both on and off the field and and certainly in the respective your teammates as well. So. I felt, um, yeah, not just myself, but you know, we had a, a number of great leaders at the football club, and it was um, you know important that those particular players, including myself, um, lead the way. Yeah, what's it like being a part of losing final series, and you had two of them in '03 and '04? Yeah, so we, um, yeah, we lost. Uh, I think um, in those years, as you mentioned, uh, we we finished. In somewhere between fifth and eighth, but they were both elimination finals. We got knocked out in the first week, so it um, it just makes you realise that you have got to get better as a group and as an individual as well. So we um, we had our chances, but it uh, it just it, what it says is that to be a, a winning side and to to put yourself in contention to play in prelims and grand finals, you have to have a really solid year. So finishing sixth and seventh and eighth. Um, as a with a young group, it's going to make it really difficult to play in those bigger finals. So we knew that we had to to get better as a group. We had to find a way to finish in that top four to give ourselves a double chance to be able to play in um, in some of the bigger finals. Yeah, what was it like to play for Australia in the international rules series? 
yeah, that was a great experience. It really was. I was, um, I was quite young. I can't remember, maybe 21, 22. And to be able to, to go over to Ireland and, and play with guys like James Hurd, who was an idol of mine, and other players, Nick Rewalt, Nathan Brown, Del Santo. There was just so many um, players, Drew Bolton from Sydney. So there were so many players who I admired and played against. So to be able to, to put on the Australian Guernsey and, and play alongside those guys and, and also get a, an understanding of um, how they prepared and how they trained and get to know those guys and then obviously follow their careers a little bit more closely after that because of the relationship that you built with those players was, was really fun. So we didn't have a, um, uh, a great time over there in regards to on-field. We got beaten up um, by the Irish in the, in the two games, but overall it was a really great experience. Yeah, what was your um, sorry? How hard was it to lose to the Swans in the grand final? Yeah, really difficult because I was fortunate enough to play for fifteen years, and I played in two grand finals. And I can assure you, making grand finals is so difficult, let alone winning them. Um, every team is uh, aspiring to to give themselves a chance of winning, and they're just really, really hard to win. So. Just because you make a grand final one year doesn't give you any right whatsoever to be back there the following year. So we knew that we had to improve and get better. But in the back of our mind, there was a there was a more as a, a hole or a gap where we were thinking to ourselves, or I certainly was thinking to myself, we might not ever get this chance ever again. And have we yeah. blown it? So you spend the whole off season thinking about moments in the game. If I had done this, if I had done that, then things may have been a little bit different. So, um, yeah, it was tough because there was so much unknown about, you know, what was going to happen post-2005 and we were so close. You know, one stage in that last quarter, we were in front and you almost felt like we had one hand of the trophy. So it was uh, was a really tough pill to swallow. Yeah, what's the feeling after a grand final loss? It's, um, yeah, it's pretty, it's hard to sort of, um, it's hard to explain. Like there's a part of you that's really proud of the group and of the the football club um, in regards to getting yourselves in a great position and and obviously being so close as well. But on the other hand, as I said before, like you, you feel that you may not ever get that chance ever again. So and it's no matter what people say to you, it's it really, um, yeah, it's hard to sort of take it on on board because you're so disappointed and upset. So, um, yeah, it's uh, certainly a lot different to the feelings in the rooms twelve months later. That's for sure. <laughs> What's the what was the mindset after that grand final loss going into that preseason? We just, as a group, realised we had to get better and we had to get tired as a group. We had to train harder. Uh, we had to continue to, to believe in the ability that we had as individuals and as a side. And we just had to make sure that we as a group just gave ourselves every chance of getting ourselves back there again. So, um, and one thing about the, the 2000 or the mid 2000s um, group was that we really did set the example with the way that we trained and prepared ourselves. And, when I reflect and look back at my whole career, you know, I think there was a, um, a group of players that trained harder and we were fortunate enough 
on the back of just believing in ourselves that we would um, we would give ourselves another opportunity of being able to, to play another grand final. So it certainly um, it wasn't about redemption redemption or anything like that, but we definitely um, used the, the disappointment to be able to ensure that we did everything right to get back there again. Yeah, what was it like to have a very good final series in 2006? Yeah, it's pretty special because you, um, as a player, you you want to play as many games as you can, but you want to be able to have an impact in those games that you play. And and finals is is something that I used to really sort of pride myself on. It's um, it's it's a different ball game. You know, suddenly you're not playing for four points. It's do or die. It's, um, you win, you're through, your season um, is over if you lose. So you've got to make the most of um, you know, those, those big games. And I always used to just really get myself um, up for, for playing in, in big games. And I used to love it. I loved um, the crowd, whether it was at home cheering for you, whether it was away doing um, against you, was, um, used to always motivate me. So, yeah, I was fortunate that um, I did have a, you know, a really good final series in 2006 and um, you know, I felt like every game that I played was really building me up to that um, that last performance on Grand Final day. Yeah, what was it like playing with the paralysed vocal cord in the semi final? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty hard actually. So I got um, I got diagnosed um, from the eve of the final series with paralysed vocal cord. So just trying to get the ball around the contest was the hardest one. But um, Chad Fletcher, I. Uh, a really good mate of mine. He was really good at actually clapping, and he actually taught me to, to clap around the contest. So when the when the ball's in dispute, you know, you could always sort of you know hear him sort of clapping really quickly, and, and suddenly you know you could essentially hear the clap and and, and feed it off. So I um, I was trying to clap a, a fair bit, um, but yeah, it was uh, it was hard. It was just um, more about trying to get into the vision of your teammates and rather than actually using your voice because obviously I um, nothing was coming out when I was talking. <laughs> yeah, and then the prelim, what was it like to take a match-saving mark in that game? Yeah, prelim was um, probably one of the best games I've ever been a part of. Everyone talks about the, the 06 grand final, but, um, you know, we were down and out at halftime and we found a way to, to get ourselves up off the canvas and, and come back and and win a, a cracking final. Um, so that was uh, that was really terrific game. We um, we put together, in my opinion, as a group, probably the best halves of football that we'd ever played in that second half. And we uh, we shocked Adelaide. And again, the confidence that we had, not just from that performance, but other sort of comeback games that we had in two thousand and six, just gave us this massive belief that our time was right, and um, and we were certainly not going to let the next week slip. Yeah, what was the lead up to the 2006 grand final like? Um, yeah, good build up. We felt like we learned a fair bit from the year before. So I felt like we were probably a little bit more relaxed, um, understanding what was about to happen with the parade and um, grand finals and big games. Yeah, you'd hate to think the guys go out there and try any harder because the question would be asked where that effort is every other week. So your preparation, your routine, has to stay the same, but in saying that, there's still a lot of um, things that are a lot different to a normal week-to-week game. So there's obviously a lot of people trying to get in contact with you to wish you all the best, which you don't normally sort of get. Um, a lot of people trying to get tickets to the grand final. So there's a, a bit of sort of um, things that you need to deal with, but 
obviously, as you know, it's very important that you have a focus on the game. So I remember just trying to get everything sorted early in the week and then by sort of Tuesday, Wednesday, it was um, it was just preparing as as normal and, and get myself ready for a um, another a really big hit out on the Saturday. Yeah, how different was the lead up to the 2005 grand final? 2005 was just something unknown about it. So we actually um, heading into the 2005 final series as a group. We actually hadn't won a game. So I know you mentioned before you know, the elimination finals in 2003 and four, and we lost another one in 2002. So suddenly we hadn't won a final. We head into 2005, and there's a lot of pressure on the group because you know as a group we hadn't achieved anything. So we um, we win our first two games, and suddenly we we're into a grand final, and it was really um, it was new. And we were a young side, but in saying that, the Swans were too. They were experiencing exactly what we were experiencing as well. So, um, yeah, probably just the, the unknown um, about what was happening and what was about to happen in 2005 was the, the big difference. Um, the following year, obviously, we um, were well and truly prepared. Yeah, what was it like facing the Swans two years in a row in consecutive grand finals? Yeah, it was great. We you know, had such a great rivalry with the Swans, as you know. So many tight, tough games. And we had a lot of respect for, for Sydney, and, and they obviously had a lot of respect for us as well. And so the one thing about the Swans is they had this, you know, similar to us, this never-give-up attitude. So you just always knew that the games were going to be tough and tight and whether one side got a lead, the other side would always come back. And if it was a you know, to and fro, that's how the games used to go. So 2005, I reckon, you know, if the game had gone for another couple of minutes longer, we would have won. And I felt like in 2006, if the game had gone for a little bit longer, the Swans might have just jumped us as well. So as much as I would have loved to win two flags, I think one-on-one was a, probably a fair result. Yeah. yeah, what was the mindset going in, into the game? Mindset was really confident without being arrogant. So I felt um, in the first time I played against Sydney in the qualifying final, they beat us by a point. Um, I didn't play in that game. Daniel Kerr didn't play in that game. And Ash Hansen didn't play in that game as well. So I felt with all us three players back into that Eagles side that we could make the difference um, or we could turn that one-point deficit that we had in the qualifying final to a, to a win. So I, I felt confident that we could all us three could have an impact on the game and help the team win. And I think on the back of the final that we had the week before against Adelaide, we felt really confident that um, that our time was right. And we, um, yeah, we were really keen to get out there and, and get off to a good start, which we did in that game. With it being such a close grand final, what was your um, feelings going in, into that last quarter? Had to keep your focus, really. Um, the thought of winning and losing just doesn't come to your mind. When it does, you have to get rid of it really quickly because it just means that you've lost concentration. So it's a really mentally exhausting game, AFL footy, at the best of times, let alone the um, the dying stages of, uh, of a final quarter in an AFL grand final. So you just got to make sure that you're just on the whole time, talking to your teammates, focusing on the next contest, the next contest after that, making sure that you impact it when it's your time to go. Um, we're all going to get big moments in the last quarter, so you don't get those moments back. So it's just about, yeah, making the most of those moments. And and hopefully if you do that and the team does that, then when the siren goes, you, your side's in front. Yeah, what was it like to win the Norm Smith medal? 
Yeah, listen, it was um, a really proud moment. I, um, as I said to you before, I, I pride myself on playing really well in big games and to be able to play my part. And the thing is, when you win grand finals, when you have a look at the side, generally speaking, you've had 22 contributors and we're really fortunate to get that again on grand final day compared to the year before where it was, um, you know, so many players, including myself, that weren't at their absolute best. So to be able to, to back it up and, and play well and to, to win a Norm Smith medal, which is not something that you think about too much. You, you just want to be part of a premiership team, which I got. But, yeah, to, to get the Norm Smith on that day as well was just a, a real bonus. And, again, yeah, something that I don't reflect and look back too much. But um, when I do, it's, um, yeah, something that I'm really proud of. Yeah, how hard was it to um, get the wooden spoon in 2010? Yeah, that was difficult. Yeah, we uh, we went through some challenging times after 2006. So we um, we got to a stage where we were questioned a lot. Um, the young kids apparently didn't have any sort of talent coming through, and the older guys had had run their race. And you know, West Coast were going through a, a really um, difficult transition, and they really weren't sure. What to, what to do, whether they're going to move on the old guys, what they're going to do with the young guys. We were getting questions at a football club that we hadn't recruited really well. So there was, uh, there was a lot of pressure on the football club at the time. And um, yeah, it was quite difficult and challenging, but we had a really strong team vision. We had a, a real clear direction about the way we wanted it to, to go as a football club. So internally, we're really confident that if we could get some games into some of our young kids like Luke Shuey and Nick Natanui, Eric McKenzie, then eventually these guys would become, you know, really quality players. So um, we kept loving these young kids and giving them a chance. And they, um, yeah, they certainly, as you've seen so in recent times, of all of those players gone on to become, you know, real stars of the competition. Yeah. What were your milestone games like for you? Um, oh, it's not that really recall the milestone games, to be honest with you. I um. My, my last ever game, which you'd probably know, was um, was game number 250. So we got absolutely smoked by Adelaide in that particular game. So that wasn't uh, that wasn't too great to remember. But um, yeah, I um, I think from memory, though, when I look back and think about it, I think most of my milestone games, I think we all lost. Um, so yeah, it probably weren't too many games to actually um, to think fondly of anyway. Yeah, what led to the decision to retire? Oh, I think there comes a stage in any player's career where you just got to weigh up where you're at, where the club's at. And I, um, I felt that the club wasn't in a position to win a grand final. And whilst I could still play a role for the team, there was probably other players in the team that could play my role just as good, if not better. And they were going to be part of the next premiership side. So... Um, you quickly realise you can't do the things that you used to be able to do and the game catches up with you really quickly. So I um, I think I knew sort of early on in my final year in 2013 that it was going to be my last season and it was just a matter of enjoying it because it was a game that I loved, a game that I played since a, uh, a kid and I knew that after this particular year, I was never going to play football again. So whilst it was um, you know, a little bit sad to sort of go out, I, um, I had a really fun year in my, in my final year and 
I um yeah got to, to play a few games and then obviously to play you know, 250 games right at the end is, is something that I um that I obviously finished with. Yeah, how hard was that decision to retire? Was it relatively easy? Uh, yeah, it's not an easy decision, but I think once you actually become um, at peace with that decision, I think it's a, it's a pretty easy one. So I think every player wants to play as long as they can, but it comes a time where you either get the tap on the shoulder or you actually um, become aware that you're no longer the player that you once were and you can't do some of the things that you could do. And some players struggle with injury, other players, the game catches up with them and they get a bit slower. So... And other games, um, other players just become, you know, mentally just, um, you know, just they just tap out and they zone out. So I, um, you've seen that like with Tom Scully in, in recent times um, at Hawthorne. I know that you back Hawthorne, and you know he's 28 years of age. He's coming to the system at early, at really early age, and um, oh, number one draft pick, and there's so much attention on him, and he spent time with three clubs and. He's probably come to a stage now where he's just mentally shattered and exhausted. So um, everyone retires for different reasons. And um, for me, it was just, I was, um, yeah, the game just caught up with me. Yeah. What was it like to finish your career as a one club player? Yeah, pretty cool because I think the game's changing a lot now and with free agency and you've seen it over in the European um, in soccer and even the NFL and the NBA players just, which all the time now, and, yeah. and that's fine. Um, that's just um, the the environment that we live in, and I, um, you know, definitely think that players you know, want to be able to earn as much money as they can because a, a sporting career is a short career, and um, so I think the the days of playing at the one club I think are going to become um, a lot less rare. So I feel that I got the opportunity to stay at one club, which I'm really proud of, and. Um, yeah, to be able to look back and reflect on my life member at the West Coast Eagles. I've um, got some great friends there. Um, there's still a lot of people at the football club that work um, in the football department that I've built strong relationships with. And so to be able to walk into that club, which I don't do all that often anymore, but when I do, it's great to sort of see some of those faces and, uh, and it gives you a chance to be able to you know, thank um, you know, all those people that um, had a contribution in your playing career. Yeah, looking back, what were some of the best moments of your career? Um, oh, some of the best moments were in the grand finals, probably the one that sticks out, but playing in big finals and um, I think, you know, becoming a life member of the West Coast Eagles Football Club is probably something that I'm really, really proud of. I, um, I got that when I played my 150th game and that's something that uh, is really special to me. It's, uh, it's more than just a footy club, it's family and I spent you know almost half my life there by the time I'd sort of retired you know I'd been there for 15 years and so it's um it's as I said yeah got strong mates or strong relationships that I've built at that football club and still to this day got a, a lot of mates um that I keep in contact with so yeah that's probably um to be a life member of the West Coast Eagles a club that I love um so much is something that I'm really proud of. Yeah, who were some of the best teammates you played with? Oh, uh, geez. Well, yeah, hard to compare teammates, but, you know, Chris Judd, Brownlow medalist, um, Ben Cousins, Brownlow medalist, Daniel Kerr, the two-time runner-up Brownlow medalist, Darren Glass was one of the best fullbacks to play the game, Dean Cox was arguably the, the greatest ruckman to play the game. So we had a pretty star-studded um, group back then. So, um, yeah, probably hard to 
to pick out um, one particular player, but we were really fortunate um, to have so many quality players in that side. Yeah, if you had any advice for young footballers, what would it be? I think perseverance is a big one. Um, just because you're not the best player in your team right now doesn't mean that you can't go on to have a successful career. I know Dean Cox um, got a look at uh, in state squads and never played state school boys or anything like that. Matt Prittis um, missed out on five or six drafts before he got drafted, never um, never doubted himself, ended up becoming a Brownlow medalist. So I think um, just that perseverance, continue to work hard, continue to believe in yourself, and just keep working on all your skills as well. I feel like um, you know, young kids these days have got so much um, other distractions that we didn't have growing up in regards to technology and iPads and, and, you know, I'm constantly telling my kids, you know, you need to get outside, you need to play a little bit of sport because if they had it their way, they'd be on roadblocks or, you know, you know playing uh, playing games in the iPad 24-7. So, yeah, just get out there, work on your, your skills and, um, and just keep um, enjoying what you do. Now into the cooking. How did you get involved in cooking? Um, so yeah, I've always loved my cooking. So I, um, always had, had a passion for food and John Worsfold was always big on the guys doing things outside of footy. So Wusher would, um, would be really keen on the guys to, to make sure on their day off that they'd be doing something, whether it was study, whether it was, um, doing some part-time work. And so I went and started doing an apprenticeship in a, in a kitchen, um, in Perth. So just working with the chefs and, uh, learning how to cook properly. So, I, um, that was really fun, really fun. Now, who's the better cook, you or Dean Cox? Oh, that's an easy one, mate. Coxie can't cook. Coxie was my um, my little sort of puppet. So we had a restaurant together, and uh, and Coxie was the guy that uh, I did all the cooking, and I would make him either chop the parsley or do the dishes. So I gave him crap jobs because I um, I wanted to make sure that the food was really good and uh, and was quality, and I. I mean, for me to get that, I just have to keep Dean away from it. So, um, yeah, that's a really easy one, mate. Dean can't cook. It's everything I got for you, mate. Thanks, guys, for coming on. No, nah, good on you, mate. All the best. Thanks very much. Might not be over yet. Five seconds to go. Oh, he's at a belt. 13. 